And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society. We're here after a long week of deliciousness served with graciousness at our new Carlisle room. We're very excited to have it open. It's yeah. super fun. The problem is they keep canceling shows at the Paramount Theater, ah. which is our bread and butter over there. But that's okay. I'm Tom Douglas and uh, owner of a couple of joints here around Seattle, including Series Takeout out in Ballard. 52nd and 14th Northwest. Uh, the, of course, we're coming to you from the Hotel Andra and the Hot Stove Society Radio here, uh, where we're open to classes. Pamela, you're kind of the executive director here. Uh, uh, what classes are the most popular that we've been doing at this point? Uh, <laughs> people keep showing up for pizza at home. I can't believe it. Can't you make a pizza? And we've got much more we complicated... Want them to show up. What are you, why are you I, haranguing I, them? I am delighted. I, I am completely <laughs> delighted. But I am stunned. I'm never I mean, asking you a question again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I cooked a beautiful dinner last night at the Hot Stove venue over there across the street at 3rd and Virginia, between 3rd and 4th. You know the original Hot Stove? Yeah. Not, not, well, no. Serious the original pie. Serious Pie venue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's now a venue for Hot Stove. So last night I did a, a 60th birthday for 10 people. Oh, that's so sweet. Super fun. Yeah. What a great place for that. Yeah, it was uh, beautiful. Pamela and Kat did a beautiful job setting it up. And, of course, Dahlia Bakery and Serious Pie is open. Booming. And, uh, uh, today and tomorrow, I'll be down shucking oysters on the patio at Seatown Town. And it's Labor Day weekend. I know. It's a big weekend. Extra day off. And I'm Thierry Rochereau, the chef in a hat, and uh, you're consulting chef now. Yes. You know, <laughs> since uh, we have uh, closed uh, Luke for the final day. And mm-hmm. uh, thank, you, thank you for coming in, Tom. Absolutely. And... Uh, Say, thank you for not making me do the dishes. Well, we have, thank God that the crew, the crew stayed to the end. So very kind people. They stayed till the last plate was clean. So. Right. Well, there were lots of people when I was sitting there last Saturday night, lots of people shedding a tear. Uh, and uh, it really just drives home the, the fact that restaurants are important. And um, yours especially, because you're a very demonstrative chef. You go to all the tables. You know, you're very welcoming. And then people... Uh, enjoy that i was that's not something i've ever really been able to do i'm shy in that way and so uh to watch you do it you're like a you're the master uh at going out <laughs> he's to the, natural he's my, natural yeah i just love to see the people that's i know all. you I just, do i know you do i just i just want to be thankful that people have walked my door that's always well, I, been. i'm just as thankful as you are i just can't go out and express it in the, in the way yeah, that yeah, you can no it's so. I, I understand yeah but uh yeah it was it was uh, definitely some tears and definitely some Great uh, joy and smile and everything, and uh, what what back into Luke's building yesterday, and it's uh, the new awning is up for the new company. The paint, already paint is already done. Oh. The guys they're on top of their game, like nobody's business over huh. there. One day they cleaned that, one day they cleaned, and then it's painted. It's I mean they're going full blast. Well, what they got a free restaurant be? from you. That's right. They yeah. got a, they got a whole restaurant. So. But the you know they sent it the table to I don't know what they're going to do the table they were already varnished so I don't know what they're going to do to it but I mean they are, there was a few people in there and you know they got some stuff down it's yeah. all black in there now it's all but yeah the awnings are up the signs are up whatever they're doing and it's going to be called um, Snowy Rivers co- Crafted Cocktail ah mm. so. That's what they're going to do. There you go. Uh, we have a big show for you today. It's uh, peak of the season for so many things. Uh, I brought over 15 Presser Farm totes full of mixed peppers this last week, and apparently there's 15 more ready to come cool. when, I, when I go pick them up on uh, Monday. What kind of pepper? Everything. Goat horns, mm-hmm. sweet paprikas, uh, you know, all the way down to hot peppers, you know, the cayennes and the, the hot ties, but uh, pasilla peppers, 
Uh, there's just uh, every variety, and they grow so beautifully in that hot sunshine True. over there. So uh, eggplants, peppers, melons all grow great. You know what didn't grow great this year for us in the hot, hot, hot? Because we had three days in a row of over 116. Uh, it killed our tomato plants. You yeah. would think tomatoes love that kind of heat, but they really like heat and humidity. They like water at the base. Well, they got water, but they like the humidity for the plant. Right. Like if you go to South Jersey and areas like that that are really humid, tomatoes grow unbelievable there. Right, so right. It's uh, Moisture. It's the first time we've lost them to the heat. Uh, we have the Washington Farmland Trust Executive Director here today, Melissa Campbell. Going to talk about their big fundraiser, ideas for using uh, the beautiful farm-grown food, and don't let it go to waste. You know, you gotta you got to turn it into something. We struggle with that ourselves. You know, if I bring over... 10 totes of eggplants. It's hard for three of our restaurants to use those oh, of up. Of course, of course. you gotta, uh, you got to preserve them somehow. We made baba ganoush out of them, right. put them in the freezer, and yep. so we'll have baba ganoush all winter long um, to, to use up. So. Oh, I look forward to that. I had it last night, man. It's my taste of the week, actually. It was so good. Uh, this We're going to make some BLTs. Do you love a good BLT? I love a good BLT. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Toasted or untoasted? Absolutely toasted. Absolutely toasted. Save it May- for the segment. Mayo or no mayo? <laughs> Absolutely mayo. You Absolutely can't, you can't mayo. have a BLT okay, with mayo. I just want to know where we're starting Homemade. Here. Homemade. I wanted, homemade, to, know, I wanted to know where my battle lines needed to be drawn, but apparently we're on the same team. And no uh, fish bones. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then um, scallops. Uh, we're going to talk a, little, a few scallops, although they are in short supply right now, and they yeah. have doubled in price. Uh, it's, uh, it's a funny thing. Isn't run. everything in short supply right now? I mean, it's like... It seems like there is not really anything that has not risen. I have a, I have a lot of eggplants and a lot of peppers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, for the day, we're going to play our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge, which I'm sure Pamela has some uh, tasty questions for us uh, to try and take us down because yep. it never works. We, we conquer her every week. Seems so. Uh, my Taste of the Week, Baba Ganoush. Uh, last night I cooked dinner for a friend's uh, 60th birthday party. And we took the lemon facetti, which is one of the new things. You got one. Yours was not uh, right on the money there. But uh, uh, last night they were brown and delicious and cooked all the way through. And I spread on our lemon anise facetti, I spread out the baba ganoush in a nice thin layer. And, you know, it's real olive oily, the facetti. And it just made the most perfect little sandwich, like a cocktail sandwich. Uh, It would be like a good tea sandwich even. But that's my taste of the week. How about you, sir? I'm gonna, I got a couple of prawns, a spot prawn, and uh, I haven't had spot prawn in quite some time because, as you know, talking about rarity, I mean, 30 years ago, you could buy spot prawn almost all summer long, and now you can get spot prawn once a year if you're a lucky guy. Uh, they come up very rarely, so I got a couple of pounds, and I, uh, I just toss them in a, just a light bit of olive oil, and I put my, uh, my uh, steel plancha on my grill. I cheated. I just put it on my grill because mm-hmm. it fits and because it's, it gets super, super hot. And I sear those baby up in the shell, and I toss them, sear them really nicely, and then I toss them into a little dressing of lemon olive oil dressing and harissa, and then toss the whole shrimp in there, and let them sit for a couple of minutes. I tell you one thing: sucking on those little shrimp was the most delicious thing ever. <laughs> the little and shrimp heads, a, and it's a sign of summer to me. It's like because you don't get spot prawn in the, for some reason. We don't get them in the winter, so. I was very excited, and it reminded me that there's only a few weeks left of that beautiful time. Well, you know, if you got a little skiff, like maybe a little 15, 20-foot skiff, you could go out to Hood Canal and get Probably, your own spot. Probably, yes, I could, I could. Or I if think, I knew someone was a skiff. 
Yeah. <laughs> Gretchen Geisness. Yeah. Just listen, remember that name, Gretchen Geisness. Okay. She's okay. our manager down at Seatown. And she has a. She just bought a little 15 foot runabout. <laughs> Here we go, Gretchen. I'm loving it. She checks her crab traps. I'm coming your she's way. Gonna, she's going to go out for shrimp. That is adorable. Yeah. She's been running around the sound. A reminder, you're listening to us here on Cairo Radio. Uh, We're going to talk about how to handle peppers when we come back in all sorts of preservative kinds of ways. This is the Hot Stove Society Radio Show at the Hotel Andra, 97.3 FM. We're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And Terry, you've seen me... uh, prancing around to my restaurants with these massive totes. I'd say they're probably 20-pound totes of mixed sweet peppers. These are not the hot ones that I've been bringing. The and hot I, ones we keep separate because the hot ones are hot. I also saw I also, I also saw the buckets, numerous buckets in your warehouse of the pickled pickle pepper. peppers. Yeah. That was from last year. No, 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 no. Those are all from this year. No, but I mean, didn't you do it last year? The, the one I saw were from last year because... No. Well, not unless you were there in the, talking about when I'm in talking the about time. COVID we time. We used those. Oh yeah, yeah. We had fifty-five, ga- uh, fifty-five five-gallon right. buckets. Of that's what I saw. Those numerous buckets. I was yeah. like, oh my god, that's a lot of peppers. But when you pickle them, they last for a long time. True, right? true. So we used those up in six months. Yeah, and uh, they were refrigerator pickles, and uh, the team here knows all about it because they saw them there at the warehouse uh, as we tried to. We made beautiful little jardinera for our sandwiches out at the dock. Right. And uh, we now we have to make jardinera because uh, we like that little combo a lot mm-hmm. with our, our our olive oily sandwiches. Well, you get some more peppers. You just said <laughs> no. I know. So we've been working on them. Uh, we now have about twenty five five gallon buckets worth of peppers and cucumbers pickled out there, and then we'll have another twenty five in the next few weeks as uh, the crop winds up. Ooh. Terry, let's just say I came to your house and said, "Dude, I am swimming in peppers. I have so many of these sweet peppers." And it's the same thing. If you think about it, uh, you, we've all seen Mama Lil's at the grocery store. You see sure. those jars of mixed peppers. That's the kind of peppers they are. Right. Uh, and uh, what, sir, would you do if I walked to your house well, with a 20-pound f- tote of beautiful <laughs> mixed peppers picked this morning, driven over in my very Tahoe, Chevy Tahoe, <laughs> and dropped at your door? Uh, well, first, and- I'm going to thank the doorman or the delivery man. <laughs> but second of all, I'm going to turn the grill on. Because I think that the first thing I would do is grill those peppers, give them a little char, and then from there, I can choose to make um, kind of like an antipasto on one side, mm-hmm. some of it in antipasto as much as I can eat in the next few days, and then the other one, I'm going to make pickle, because I think that's, like you were saying, one of the best ways to conserve it, and I'm not going to be able to get through 20 pounds of peppers no. between my wife and I in the next few weeks. So. Can, you, can you combine the process? And some, Sometimes when I make a pickle... Um, I will take those very same peppers, the sweet peppers, and I will char them on the grill, but not like you do a roasted. You know how on a roasted pepper you char the skin till it's yeah, black no, and no, no. it falls off? I would give these kind of a hot char, right. get, which will naturally give them a little bit of smoke from the charcoal, yeah. and then do that pickling process. Have Correct. you ever tried that? That's what I would do. That's what you would do. Because okay. I would smoke, I would, I would grill the whole thing. Some of it I would grill longer because I'm going to do an antipasto, so they need to be cooked. And they need they to are, be peeled. And right. they need to be peeled. And the other one, I would just give it a nice little burn, you know, like a char, so it would get that flavor into my pickling. Mm-hmm. Plus, when you give that as a gift for Christmas, which is a nice gift to get, you get those beautiful peppers in there with a nice little smoke on it. and Tastes like summer in and December. It, it, will, it will taste really delicious. Yeah. I mean, 
you add that, and then when you when you eat them, you can just choose. Once they've been pickled, you can choose to even peel them if you want. After they've been pickled, it's easy to peel if you want to. Yeah, no, because I slice them. Yeah, exactly. I'm not slicing individual. I'm not peeling individual no, I, slices. I, I'm with you. Peppers, I'm just yeah. saying if if <laughs> if you want to. Yeah. If you get a a, a ten, twelve, eight ounce jar of of peppers. You know, somebody give you that, you can, yeah, eight ounces. So, um, when I make antipasto, uh, you're talking about like a fresh antipasto on a plate, but you can make antipasto as a condiment or as a appetizer. Like my father in law always made antipasto well, and then canned use, it, right? Yeah, I was going to use some of the eggplant that you were talking about. Right. There's a huge amount of eggplant, zucchini, and stuff like that. So, I was going to grill all that stuff, mm-hmm. dice everything, put it into a jar, can it. And then keep it for the winter, and then you know you have a, a party of you know six or eight people coming over. You pop one of those yeah. jars, put it on top, up top of uh, crostini or grill bread, and a little bit of goat cheese on top, or just a drizzle of olive oil, or even some olives. Mm-hmm. And then boom, you've got a beautiful appetizer on your hand, and it's a delicious way to start the day. Now, when you're doing that, another good way, you know, sometimes we we all our fridges get overwhelmed with things that we've purchased over the last year that don't get used up. Uh, but probably would be good for a turnover. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking green olives, like the olives you keep for martinis, the onions you keep for martinis, yeah. uh, capers. Time to, uh, ro- to rotate them. Uh, p- yeah, a little half jar left of roasted peppers, uh, you know, this and that. It's a, uh, chunks of cauliflower. Uh, tuna fish. You know, yeah. sometimes tuna sits in my, my uh, dry goods drawer for two years in the in the can. You know, right. it's time to use that up. And that also goes well in that antipasto mix that you just yeah. talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as a canning something that you can run home, get out a quick appetizer, get some of those panzanella crackers or True. toast up a baguette and ha- have antipasto. Yeah, and you can Pamela's also. Pamela's been to my house and had that when my father-in-law times. used to make that. I miss Every it. year, yeah, me too. You can also take uh, the peppers and cook them a little bit longer than you have for the antipasto, and then you can puree them or, or blend them, chop them basically, and then put that into some soft butter. Mm-hmm. So now you have a pepper butter. So when you're doing, let's say, uh, you're doing a rack of lamb, you know, you give it a nice char on the outside, finish roasting. Once your lamb is ready to go, coming out of the grill, you just put all that butter on it and let it sit for a couple of minutes. And then all that thing warms up and becomes the coating of the, of the lamb. Mm-hmm. Then you take your chops and then you serve them like that with a little bit more extra of that butter. It's delicious. If you happen to be watching on Facebook, I'm going to show you this pepper that uh, Jackie grows. It's called a, she calls it a paprika pepper. And it's a very thick-walled, perfect little round pepper. It looks like a tomato. It does look like a tomato. And it's, um, when you take the top off of this little pepper, it's about um, twice the size of a golf ball, we'll say. And you take the top off and you, you cut the little stem out. And you, if you leave a bit of the flesh with the top, you actually have a lid to go back on. Mm. But if you think about the mini pumpkins and, and being able to kind of scoop, nice little stuff. scoop those out and then uh, stuff them with something. Same thing with these peppers. They stuff beautifully. Right. And when you roast them, they, because the wall of the pepper is so thick, uh, it stands up. You, yeah. can, you can keep them. You know, sometimes when you roast a the pepper, they just collapse. Yeah, right? you could do a nice little ground beef and... and uh, if you have some leftover burger meat or whatever, you can do a little yeah. bit. That. We, ma- we made our vegetarian entree out of these last night. Uh, Jim uh, made the... Uh, Jim, what was the name of those beans that we used? Uh, Jackie's oh, Flageolet uh, beans. We did with uh, some kale and onions and stuffed these peppers and popped them right into the wood-fired oven. Nice. And, yeah, they roasted up beautifully, and they were a, a delicious little vegetarian entree. So yeah. uh, there's all so many things you can do with the peppers. Um, 
the the basilla peppers make beautiful uh, chili rellenos. Yeah. Along with the Anaheims, uh, there's just a ton. They do great can... stuffing too. I mean, those are great to stuff as well. Yeah, and if you if you preserve those whole like that, uh, then you can pull those out and use those. Uh, you know, like the the piquillo peppers that right. you get from Spain. You know, yeah. you can use those to stuff with a, a little mashed potato or a little uh, manchego cheese. You know, even like a that. little prosciutto. You could take a little ham, uh, mushroom. You know, make it very meaty kind of idea, mushroom and ham, and goat cheese, and put that into the the stuffing and mm-hmm. bake it and serve it that way. Warm. It's really delicious. Mm. So many ways to use those peppers. Yeah, and I, I would tell you that if you're going to stuff them and try and serve them with structure, you probably need to uh, not roast them first because Correct. when you roast them, you'll break the wall. If you roast them first, then you can put them in something soft where they get pan-fried like a chili relleno, right? right you dip right. them in an egg batter. You can or, also put them, if you roast them, you can put them together in a like a Pyrex pan, you know, something like that, and then, you know, just put them together tight so they don't... So that they stand up. So they stand up, they yeah. stay, mm-hmm. yeah. So many peppers, so much good to do with them. Uh, it's, uh, it's high time that we all get out there and, and enjoy the season. Go pick a pepper. Go pick a pepper. Peter. Might, might even pick a peck of peppers. Uh, next up, we're going to welcome Melissa Campbell from the uh, Washington Farmland Trust on the Hot Stove Society radio show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We're, we're here, as, uh, as always, at the Hot Stove Studio, Hotel Andra, here above Lola Restaurant. If you're trying to place us in your mind, we're right above Lola at the corner of 4th and Virginia. My name is Tom Douglas. And mine is Thierry Rotero, the chef in the hat. He's recently unemployed, Mr. Rotero, who's gone into a new field of culinary consultation. That's right. And unemployed is a very heavy word because I thought from one day to the next I'd be on vacation. Nothing like that yet. No? (laughs) I'll tell you one thing. I've been busier than I have ever been. (laughs) That's so funny. It's not easy to close a restaurant. No. It comes with a lot of uh, string attached. I was telling somebody uh, last night, as a matter of fact, my landlord at the Palace Kitchen who's wondering why it's not open yet. Uh And I said, dude, it took me 32 years to open my restaurants and you want me to open... Them all back up in a matter of months. Yeah. I can't do it. Right. Yeah, it's just the way it is. I'm sad about that, believe yeah. me. But um, uh, they're very, they're very, um, they're very, they're starting to be very understanding. Yes, yeah. exactly. We're going to welcome in Melissa Campbell. Uh, she's the executive director of the Washington Farmland Trust. And Pamela, our producer, is on the board there at the Washington Farmland Trust. And yep, the fix is in. The fix They're going to hear about it whether you want to or not. <laughs> <laughs> you have a big auction coming up. Isn't that right, Melissa? Yeah, we have an online uh, fundraising concert this year, second annual Love the Land, on September 22nd from 7 to 8 p.m. at a live stream on YouTube. How fun is that going to be? Uh, we hope it's going to be really fun. Uh, tickets are $10. You can find out more at WashingtonFarmlandTrust.org to buy tickets, learn about the lineup, and make a donation if you'd like. And we have an incredible lineup. Uh, we have the Decemberist headlining, the True Love, Whitney Manger, Black Belt, Eagle Scout, and Jericho, who's lots of local favorites. And it will be emceed by um, the lead of the female farmer project, Aldra Mulcern, who is also like a local uh, agricultural collab. 
Pamela, uh, we're, uh, you know we're big fans of you, and whatever you get involved in uh, must be important and, and good for the earth because you are an earth mother. Uh, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Yep. So uh, uh, why did you get involved with Farmland Trust, and, and why has it been so important in your life? As a board member, I was finally able to visit one of our protected farms outside of Monroe, and the importance of this preservation work really hit home uh, but it was a complicated project and Melissa could you please explain what the trust had to do to maintain this beautiful farm yeah you bet Pamela so oftentimes um, we meet farmers who you know 70 percent of our farmers are of retirement age here in the United States so oftentimes when we meet farmers who are interested in conservation they're not just looking for permanent protection they're looking to sell their property so in this case, the trust stepped in and purchased 260 acres from the farmland owner that gave him an exit out of farming and a solid retirement plan. And we were able to work with the local community to uh, secure the property and then figure out what is next for the property. So we raised um, philanthropic dollars. We raised impact investment dollars. And um, we're working to transition over two miles of habitat. It's a little over 100 acres of prime salmon habitat along the Skykomish River um, back to the Tulalip tribe to their ownership. And we're also working to transition ownership of the agricultural area back to the farmland tenant. And so in this way, we're able to achieve multiple, trans, uh, multiple objectives through one transaction. And we can get farmland in the hands of farmers who will steward that property. And we are able to transition high-priority habitat and uh, non-agricultural acreage back to the tribe to their ownership for their stewardship and protection. So it's a big lift for our organization, the most complicated project to date, and one we're extremely proud of. And if anyone's been along the Highway 2 corridor through Monroe, you'll, you know how rapidly growing that area is. So this is a big win for us and a big win for the local community in terms of protecting near urban farmland. So, Melissa, are you saying there is some farmland to buy? Are you, yeah, are you, yeah, yeah. Is there a lot of interested in the youth, uh, you know, young people to, interested to buy farmland these days? That's right, yeah. We, we have a, an interesting situation here in the United States and particularly here in Puget Sound where um, we have a lot of people who are interested in farming and yet here in Puget Sound we have a extremely high prices in agricultural land. We see land go at sometimes minimum $15,000 an acre. And we know through surveying land is the access to land is the biggest barrier for farmers or people who want to get into farming. And so our role is to help be a bridge between that retiring generation of farmers and the next generation of farmers who are interested in accessing land. And so as a land trust, we either buy land lease it back to a farmer until they can buy it, or we conserve land by just removing development rights and permanently restricting land that's already owned by a farmer. And to accompany that strategy, we have a land linking program called FarmLink, where we actually match new and beginning farmers with land that's available either for sale or for lease. And that program is called Farm to Farmer, and you can learn more at farmtofarmer.org. It's such an interesting uh, process as taking away the development rights is with key in, in many of these purchases, right? So that this isn't just this is a one-time transaction to get that off the market forever, essentially, and protected at, yeah. at agricultural yeah. value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's really that's cool, right. and it's a long-term so, vision. 
Thank you. Yeah, and it's it's a big vision. We're we're a big ag state, and we have a lot of pressure on our agricultural land. And you know, there's a lot of great land trusts throughout the state, and our land our land trust is really focused on um, agricultural land and looking at the I-5 corridor we have, where we have significant and growing pressure every day on our agricultural land. The only farms I see along I-5 are truck farms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just massive warehouses <laughs> taking over. Like the whole Kent Valley used to be, what, garlic gulch, right? And that turned into, uh, they covered all the land down there with warehouses, and it's, uh, it's, that's all they farm now are trucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sometimes farmland makes the best uh, warehouse land. It's flat, it drains well, but that's something where, you know, we work outside of the urban growth boundary. So we're looking at prime soils, properties that have access to water, but we're really trying to prevent that sort of sprawl that we've seen in the Kent Valley and really trying to stem the tide there and make sure there's, there's land that's suitable for development, but that's where development happens and that the land that's high-quality, high-value soils that will never be replaced, that those soils are protected forever. Right. Mm -hmm. Melissa, we have less than a minute. Why don't you tell us again about your auction and uh, how people can get involved? Thanks, Tom. Yeah, our event is called Love the Land. It's September 22nd from 7 to 8 p.m. It's an online concert, and we're collaborating with our friends at Viva Farms. You can buy tickets and make a donation at www.wafarmlandtrust.org, and we hope to see you there. Awesome. I- or at Hot Stove for a watch party. We're doing an event that night. All the screens will be lit up with the concert, and there'll be a delicious farm-focused vegetarian dinner. Wow. <laughs> so where do you get tickets All for right. that? Uh, hotstove.com. Hotstove.com. Farm watch party or, or concert. Concert watch party. Concert watch party here at the, at the Hot Stove. Good. Super fun. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, we'll be thank back you in so touch. much. Keep up the good work. Thank you all. Thank you, Take Melissa. Care. See you later. Thank you, Pamela. Bye. Bye-bye. When we come back, it's after all the hard work to grow these darn vegetables in our backyards and the, what the farmers grow. Let's not waste them. This country wastes so much food. It's estimated 40% of our food goes into compost bins. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> we'll be shame right back. The Hot Stove Society. Shame, shame. Yeah. Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Hey, everybody, it's the Hot Stove Society Show. It's crazy around here today. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in a hat. We're here at the Hotel Andra, and uh, we are continuing to watch the progress of this hotel getting reopened. This morning. It's been closed since we closed, Lola, March 15th of uh, 2020. So It is nice to bring the lights back on. Yes, it is. Uh, let's talk about how to waste less eat more, preserve more a little bit. And I know we talked about this with peppers in particular a couple of segments ago, but this is a bigger issue. Uh, This is an issue about uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's estimates that food waste in the the United States is 30 to 40 percent of our total food supply. And it's hitting my head at the moment because I've been going into the grocery stores and seeing empty shelves of this and that, that... uh, that is just gone, right? right. It's, just, it's lost in the supply chain. I was talking to my friend who has a snack company up in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, this week. And he literally, all last year, his plant was running at 50% because he couldn't find the workers. Mm-hmm. Now he's got the workers, and he can't find the Mylar bags that he packs his snacks into, oh. like his cheese puffs. Now he's found the bags, 
And this week he's closing the plant because there's no truckers that will pick up the product. His warehouse is bursting out steam. There's no more room to put any food in it. And he said only 20% of his usual truckers, they send out 100 trucks a week of snacks. And only 20 trucks showed up this week to pick up snacks. So he can't build anymore. Right. And so it's just this funny thing going on in our food chain. It's an it really unbalanced, it's unbalanced on all different sides. Yeah, on mm-hmm. all different sides. So it seems especially important to me right now when we do find things, making sure that we use it all right. and, and use it uh, effectively, right? right? So um, where would you start in a food waste scenario? I mean, I know where I would start, but I'm going to well, ask you The that. first example I can come up with is we just had a flat of tomato, heirloom tomato, gorgeous tomato. We just couldn't get to it, and they start going, you know, they start overripening, right? Mm-hmm. So we made a Which whole... Which doesn't make them bad. No, no, no. We just... Yeah. That actually makes them more delicious. You can only use them in a certain way. Correct. Yeah. It makes them more delicious to make a wonderful tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, so you make a big batch of tomato sauce. But at the same time, I'm like, wait, let me clean my refrigerator at the same time to make sure nothing else is going all. So you look in the, in the veg, veg bin, and you find a zucchini... That's also been in the refrigerator from the garden. It's been in the refrigerator for three, four days. I'm like, let's slice this, toss it into the sauce. Mm-hmm. Well, but like, you know, it's a tomato sauce. I'm going to put a zucchini in there from the garden. It's not going to hurt. It's going to be delicious. It's not going to kill the flavor because it doesn't have much flavor. Right. But, but at least I'm not wasting it. I found um, half an onion. Same thing. I take the onion, saute it, add it to the tomato sauce. That was just... So basically, go through your refrigerator and use all these ingredients, then you can find that are a couple of days old, and you've been looking at hoping to put it in the garbage by the time they get bad. Instead of going all the way to the garbage, just use them. Just yeah. toss them together. Or instead of going to the store and buying new things that... Correct. You, while the other stuff rots and then and just goes into your, gar- your uh, compost. Bin. Again, the, the uh, example of the onion is a perfect example. Half an onion, that's looking at you in your refrigerator for three, four days... You know, hoping that it goes bad and put it in the garbage. Just take it, slice it, put it in the pan, caramelize it while you're doing something else, and you've got this caramelized onion. They're going to keep for a couple of weeks in your refrigerator. So easy way to recycle it and to use it for something else. But more importantly, those tomatoes are not done. We blended them, we strained them, and then we have this wonderful tomato sauce. Put it in a jar, boil it, boom, it's in the cellar, it's done. And I'll tell you one thing, in December when we... Uh, what are we going to eat for lunch? You, you pop that thing up, you warm it up. The fresh tomato sauce? Fresh tomato yeah, sauce, exactly. and you use that as a soup or whatever. It's going to be delicious. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's because the flavor is incredible. It's just, it doesn't look like something you can slice and put on the plate with some, you know, as a beautiful tomato. It's just over the top. So I use it instead of, many people would look at this and go, oh, it's rotted, I'm going to throw it away. It's like, no, it's delicious. Just cut off, if there is a bad part, just cut it off and... You know, is, just cook it. Is there a machine that uh, somebody could have in their kitchen that would help with food waste? Like, to me, the first thing that comes to my mind is, and that what most people don't have, and what also is super inexpensive, a dehydrator. Oh, yeah. When you get those tomatoes that are over, those strawberries that are over, figs are a good example, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much anything. Uh, plums, uh, peaches, yeah. pretty much anything. Uh, you can dehydrate into some sort of... Of another type of product, Correct. but uh, what I'm saying is that it it'll solve some of your waste issues. Correct. Uh, yeah. And those are easy. They're like twenty five or thirty five dollars. Yeah, they're yeah. not that expensive. That is a good way to do it. The other one is get a food saver, you know, and then cryovac your your fruit and your vegetable in cubes or whatever. Put them in the freezer. Next time you're having cereal, 
you just put that into your cereal or you can take, you know, cube peaches. You just can do so much stuff with that. You can make a nice little pie and then put them in there and then, you know, just make sure that you have a little um, starch to go in there because the water is going to be pretty abundant. But you can also make, take them out and blend them, have a wonderful little peach soup that you can use as a dessert in November when it's raining and it's even for Thanksgiving, a nice peach soup. You know, that with overripe peaches is going to be mm-hmm. so delicious. Just well, I think the important thing that you said there is that food saver, because sometimes when you take those uh, peaches that are overripe or whatever, you, your tendency, my tendency is to put them on a sheet pan, put them in the freezer, IQF right. them, so right. individually right. quick freeze. Then I put them in a Ziploc bag when they're all frozen so I can pick out the two or three peaches that I want. Right. The problem with that method is that three months into this, you got a bag full of frost. Correct. And with the food saver, you really eliminate the frost issue, right. which is nice. Right. And then you make, you make bags that are not too big, so you can have portion, you know, portion for two. If you're only two in the household, just make a, a small bag, like a half a pound, mm-hmm. so you can use the whole thing when you open it. You know, so it's a usage-friendly, and you just make more bags. You know? right. and, uh, but you're right. The freezer burn is actually that, that the, thing, the good thing about the freezer is it will elongate the life. The bad thing about it is if you leave it too long, it will taste like your freezer. Right. And most freezers don't taste good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, and then with vegetable, it's the same thing. Any kind of zucchini right now are all over the place and tomatoes are all over the place and eggplant and all that. Just take those vegetables and dice them, saute them quickly or grill them and then put them in a bag and, and put them in the freezer or dice them where we talk, like we were talking about in antipasto style, mix them together Little, little fresh herb, you have a ton of lemon verbena, stuff like that. You can stuff in that. And then seal the jar and then can it. It's also a good thing, that food saver. You know, I don't tend to love the plastic, all the plastic well, that yeah, it no, uses. Of course. But still, when you think about it, if you're a Costco shopper, for example, and you're looking at those big family packs yeah. of pork chops or right. all the things that they sell in these massive quantities. Mm-hmm. Individually wrapping and freezing those without the air right. is awesome. Yeah. And they come out so much better when you slack them out right. uh, than it does if you, even if you just wrap in freezer wrap, right? Uh, which is how a lot of the home butcher, you know, Correct. like um, Mr. Underwood's uh, in Prosser or something like that. Everything, when I pick it up, it's all in freezer wrap. You know, there is an, also another aspect to the food saver is the tube that actually goes into a canister. Mm-hmm. You know, they have those, those canisters that are just like a jar. And you put all your dry fruits, your nuts, or whatever in there. You can suck the air out of those containers, and you keep that in your pantry. And every time you open it, you can re-suck the air out. Mm-hmm. And then, just like the wine saver or whatever, same concept of idea. And those are really awesome for, like you were talking about, drying apricots, peaches, or whatever. If you put that in your dryer, like blueberry right now, there is bazillion blueberry. It's the end of the season. Put them in dryer, and then couple pounds of blueberry in, in, in a nice jar like this every morning, put that in your cereal, and you're done. Well, you know, the only thing I'd like to know out of that particular suggestion is how many is a bazillion? Uh, the, like, It's right next to the, the quadrillion, and uh, <laughs> just before the... <laughs> Okay, there you go. It's a bazillion blueberries. (laughs) Tara Misak is going to join us in the next episode to talk about uh, facetti and all the yeasty goodness happening. She's the uh, lead baker at the Dahlia Bakery in uh, downtown Seattle here, right across the street from us. Uh, On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Uh, my name is Tom Douglas. We're coming to you from the Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. 
And look at who's here. The recently retired chef in the chapeau. <laughs> retired is a beautiful word, but uh, yeah, I'm going to try to work on that very seriously. But right now I'm still running. I feel like my head has been cut off and I'm still running like still that chicken. Running. Yeah, that's, that's the voice of uh, the charming Terry Rotaro. Uh, we have a large show for you, not the, not the least of which is the final uh, ending today with uh, our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Pamela, anything you want to, like, hints that we could be thinking about for the show? What's the... Uh, we're focused on vegetables and bread today. Vegetables and bread in our questions, so we've got to think Focaccio. about Focaccio. <laughs> <laughs> Winner! Uh, we're going to talk about BLTs, because right now when the beautiful big slicing tomatoes are out... This is the time to make a BLT with a nice slab of tomato. Just before they go bad on you. And the thing I would suggest also, I, I like crispy bacon okay, but if you take your bacon, a big slab of it, and braise it until it's really tender, mm. it makes a beautiful BLT too. Just, just saying. Uh, but first, we're going to jump in with Tara Mysek. She is the lead baker here at the uh, Dahlia Bakery right across the street from us. And uh, Tara, we're going to talk about Facetti, our, our little bread that's becoming very popular at the bakery. And of course... Uh, I think what a lot of home bakers did over COVID, which was learn how to bake their breads in a Dutch oven, which yep. we have done also. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So you brought us today a lemon facetti. And uh, just a quick story. There was uh, Juliana, a uh, place that I stayed in, Alba. Uh, she one time said to me, I love your dimples. <laughs> In France, in Italian. So I, so somebody had to translate that to me. She loves your dimples. Um, oh, the translator was very kind. <laughs> <laughs> and when, I first, when we first started trying to make these little uh, uh, pan breads, uh, the, the thought came to me that the Italian word for, for dimples is facetti. Oh, yeah. So that's where that name came from. And uh, tell us the process that you go through making this. And uh, the, I, what I love about it is that the savory angles that you can put on top of this bread, oh, right? Yeah. This one is lemon and anise. We have tomato and uzo. We have duca spice. Tell us about that. Uh, I mean, it's basically focaccia. It's at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. It's a nice, really oily, kind of salty bread. It's real light and fluffy at the mm -hmm. same time. It also has those nice crisp edges that it gets in uh, the pythons when we bake them off. And it's it's very versatile. It's You can put anything on top of there and have just a wonderful little breakfast bread. Right. Uh, my favorite way of, like, when I do uh, them at home, because I always have extra dough. You like, do not do these I, at home. I, <laughs> no, I do. I swear I do. Uh, it, I like to call it Sunday bread for me because uh -huh. I take leftovers of whatever I have in the kitchen and I'll put it on top and I bake it off just like that. Uh -huh. And it's just this beautiful little treat for you in the morning. And I think think it's an awesome thing that we feature here at the restaurant uh but yeah we uh we do five different flavors currently we're working through uh some new flavors that we hope to introduce here in the next few weeks but yeah we do a lemon anise uh we do a tomato ouzo we do a green garlic pesto we do a peri peri uh duca spice uh which we use the rub with love peri peri spice which is awesome a great way to feature product that we already make in house and uh the last one we do is an Asiago rosemary and uh, roasted garlic, which happens to be the biggest and best seller. We also use that. That sounds bread. irresistible. I know, right? <laughs> uh, we also use that to make uh, facetti sandwiches uh, that we sell uh, at the bakery as well during lunchtime. Um, but yeah, uh, at the end of the day, it's essentially pizza dough. Uh, 
we have such a really good, versatile pizza dough that we make for Serious Pie, and it has a lot of flavor. There's a lot of love that's already put into that, and it sticks with the essence of Serious Pie, and what we like to do is uh, a bread baker's soul is yeah. going into this. That's yeah. how we make our dough, and it, why not use a, such an amazing product already to make an even more amazing product that people can buy quick and easy so they're not sitting around waiting for a pizza. They can get themselves something like this and have a, a great afternoon snack as well. God, it goes so good with a bowl of soup. It's just like an everything bread. Million, yeah. Yeah. Millions of ideas that yeah. you could use that with. I mean, yeah, from- however you top it, it you can go savory you can go sweet you can yeah. do sweet and spice on it and yeah it's just a delightful bread and uh i'm thinking tomato and anchovies right now would be delicious um the other bread you brought today was your campagna loaf yes uh, and i, I te- teased that you're going to help the home baker who possibly learned how to bake with uh, a dutch oven uh, during the pandemic, you know, baking was became a very popular sport. Oh yeah, and <laughs> you had to move from our big uh, bread fired humidified oven because we got rid of it. Yeah, we didn't need it; it took up too much space. Into you've now have fifteen lodge seven quart bread ovens. Essentially, yeah. each one's an individual oven. So tell us what you had to do to make because you've perfected it. I mean, this is so Thank different you. from in the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, this is so different. You what adjustments did you make uh, from the big open deck oven to these individual pizza or bread ovens that you use in the large uh, Dutch oven? Well, uh, as all the home bakers throughout the pandemic did, I did my research as well. I was not very like skilled as far as a baker. I was still learning. I was still teaching myself. And I spent a lot of time just going on YouTube, like who's baking the best bread, who's making the coolest things. And everybody at the end of the day was using a Dutch oven. The ones that got the best rise, the best loaf, the, the beautiful crust, the nice blistering bubbles on there. Yeah, they I love all, that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things, that and getting that nice, crispy ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we use uh, the Dutch ovens. Uh, we get really ripping hot oven. We uh, set it at 475 uh, for that. We let them preheat for about 45 minutes. And then when our bread is ready, uh, we get some parchment paper, throw our loaf on top of that give it a really nice score. We've also been doing uh, awesome stencils that uh, our, my right-hand person right now, Tomer, uh, made, and it's absolutely incredible. It gives us a unique thing that nobody else can buy a Dahlia Bakery loaf. Right, it says it right on, right on exactly. the outside. Yeah. Uh, that is yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a ripping hot oven. It's at 475. We uh, score it. We load our uh, bread into the Dutch oven, and then we'll throw in some ice cubes. That also helps with the blistering, uh, oh. blistering and the caramelization to get those nice bigger bubbles that are blistered on the outside uh you you need to be able to create that steam environment that moisture in there so the loaf can continue to expand during its rising process uh while it's baking and then halfway through we'll take the lid off release all that steam and then set the bread that's where the color starts coming in that's where the crust starts developing it's like final form and uh we'll drop the temperature at that point uh, to about 425 and let it bake off for the last 20 minutes. It's about a 40-minute process for that. Uh, and then once they come out, they go onto a cooling rack, and they're ready for service. Yeah, I've, uh, made, I've made many of those loaves. This is definitely... I have never made a loaf that gorgeous. This is it, It's one of my favorite the loaves. Lip, the lip is gorgeous. Everything is beautiful <laughs> about it. I mean, it makes you want to... Just jump into that bread and slice mm. it and eat it. Oh, yeah. You know, other than the baking process itself in the oven, you can see we 
put the bread kitchen right there at Serious Pie with windows so you can watch oh, them form and shape and cut and and all sorts of good things. Yeah, we have the doors wide open. Yeah. People have stopped in and been like, oh, what are you guys doing over there? And it's just, <laughs> I, I like to go through the whole spiel and just like we're making artisan sourdough bread with kind of a home baker mentality because right. I, again, I taught myself majority of what I know. So I feel like I'm an artisan home baker at this point. Right. And that's what the bread we produce is artisan home baked bread, in my opinion, at the end of the day. Uh, we're going to ask Tara to stay for the next segment. Uh, we're going to talk about BLTs because you've also made some cool sandwich breads. Oh, yeah. That toast up beautifully for a BLT. Oh, that potato we'll talk bread about is so that. good. The potato, I know, exactly. Yeah. Uh, when we come back on Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And um, what are you going to do today, chef? You're retired. What are you going to do today? I'm going to make some BLTs. BLTs. Let's jump into that conversation. We've asked Tara to stay for another segment because um, Tara uh, made beautiful sandwich bread uh, in... Uh, for our sandwich program at the Dahlia Bakery and spent weeks and weeks working on different loaves. And if, if you're thinking about a BLT, I'm, I'm assuming BLTs on two slices of bread, you'd like a BLT. Oh, yeah. BLT, yeah. two slices of bread. I like a nice, thick-cut bread, something that griddles really well, mm-hmm. something that when it's toasted up, it just kind of flakes on the outside but is real nice and soft and tender on the inside, something that packs a lot of flavor because it's the vessel that's holding your basic, simple ingredients that just stand out especially when you have tomato season right now tomato season's in full bloom and having thick cut nice slices of tomato on a real soft crispy bread so that's that's the key to me right so what you just said so some of the first loaves we tried to do sandwiches on were delicious like right out of the oven but they don't maybe they didn't last for a day or two or three other loaves um when you toast them they become brittle Almost like Melba toast. Yep. And that doesn't work for a BLT. But you came on with the potato bread, yeah. which is literally the perfect bread for a BLT, <laughs> right? It's got a nice, I crispy, definitely think so nice crispy crust. And when you toast it, it's spongy and nice in the center, but still gets a nice toast on the, on yep. the outside without drying out. So Last yeah. week, I got the uh, mozzarella, tomato mozzarella. The um, There was three different kind of sandwiches on the window. Oh, uh, the, the facetti sandwiches, yeah. Yeah, and they were... That that bread made the sandwiches, and it's very. I think it's very important, and that's something that people probably don't think about. They use the same bread for everything. It's not. It, there is a difference in when you're making sandwiches about what kind of bread you use. Again, oh, yeah. you so, need to be able to grill it. You need to be able to be using it as a vessel. That's important to remember. You're making a sandwich with dry ingredients. Don't use a bread that's super dry because you're going to have something yeah. pasty in your mouth. So, so we know you shop at the Mercer Island Met Market <laughs> every morning. Uh, if you're going down the bread aisle, what are you picking out for a BLT? Well, I'm going to use for a BLT, I'm going to use BLT. something like your compine bread. See, that's too tough for me for no, a BLT. because you have to be careful how you grill it. Mm-hmm. You just have to make sure that you're focusing the grilling onto the center cut of the bread into the the, uh, the inside, not the crust, the inside. Oh. And it's nice to have a little crust, a, a crust that's not hard. Now, I'm not going to... Okay, ca- you, you gave me the wrong answer. I'm going Tom. to tear up. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There is no wrong answer. There is different answer, <laughs> sir. And then you don't make that bread three inch thick. You make it so that oh, it's... Oh, for sure. You make it like three quarter inch thick so then 
But when if you, you toast that bread, this is a beautiful country rustic bread with a heavy crust. If you toast that, it's naturally going to be crusty, and it's going to tear the roof of your mouth up if you're trying to eat no, it as I got, a sandwich. I, teeth. I will agree with Tom on that. Yeah. It, it, while <laughs> I absolutely enjoy a BLT on that Campagne, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those ones that with a crust on that outside, if you have a hard crust on that outside, depending on the individual who's eating it, like that that will tear up the roof of your mouth once mm. it's toasted. Like It's nice to have some roughness in It's better for a life. tartine, I think. That kind yeah. of bread is better it, for a it, tartine. It needs something that has moisture that you can add to it mm-hmm. to keep it at that nice consistency, for when, that mouthfeel consistency when you're right. eating it. Okay, but. so Tara, you're at the Met Market on Queen Anne because you don't go to Mercer Island. I do not go to Mercer Island. <laughs> I can walk to that Met Market in Queen Anne yeah, there for you two go. minutes. Uh, you're going down the bread aisle because yeah. not everyone has access to, I mean, assuming that the bread at the Met Market is similar to most groceries around the area. You're going down the bread aisle. You're thinking BLTs. What are you buying? I'm looking for a real nice soft white bread or something that ha- uh, or like a seeded bread. Uh-huh. I, I really like uh, seeded bread. It adds that extra element of texture and flavor that uh, you're playing with, depending on what tomatoes I'm getting. If I'm getting tomatoes just before the season and I really want a BLT, I'm going to go for that seeded, hearty loaf, but it's still nice and soft. Something that I can toast up just on one side, throw some mayo on the other side, and it's just going to be a real nice vessel for it. But uh, when tomato season's in, if I'm not making the bread by myself at home, I'm looking for that nice, soft, white loaf, ideally like a potato loaf. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why I really liked the potato loaf that we ended up doing here. But our potato loaf is really unique in that half of the recipe uh, is potato. So it's basically equal is parts. It really? Yeah, it's basically equal it was... parts potato to flour, uh-huh. and then the water is added into it. Uh, mm. And it's a really nice, it's delicate, it's airy, it's light, has a good tear on good to, uh, chew uh, to it, and it's an absolutely delightful loaf. But if I'm looking for that, I'm looking for that soft white loaf that I can toast real nice, maybe put a little butter uh, and that mayo on there. And then just put those fresh, awesome ingredients, uh, the bacon, lettuce, and tomato in there. That Dave's seed bread is, uh, I like that bread okay, but it's often a little sweet for me. I feel but, like they yeah, use I would agree too with much that as sugar. Well. I, yeah. like a, I like a good buckwheat, too, a good buckwheat bread, you know, very uh, rugged kind of idea of, like a German bread almost, to make a BLT. That would also be a nice... A nice. We're I not know, on the same know, planet. No, we're not Tom on the same planet. Same I, like, I, like, I like my bread to be holding on together. <laughs> yeah. But I must say that those sandwiches last week, to finish the conversation, and I bought at the bakery, they were. I bought a whole bunch for the crew at, at the restaurant. They were fantastic. The, the texture, everything was yeah. good from beginning to end, which yeah. is which is often not the case when you buy a sandwich. Okay, let's let's finish our BLT conversation before we run out of time. Now we've established we want a nice, or you've been outvoted, we want a nice, <laughs> soft bread. It's normal. Toasted. We want mayonnaise. We know that uh, it's tomato season. We're going to get beautiful, ripe tomatoes. Uh-huh. We're avocado make the or no avocado? No. Whoa. What did you say? Whoa, the We're making just, the mayonnaise. Yes. Just jumped homemade, in homemade, homemade mayonnaise. mayonnaise. No it has way. to be. Yeah. Best foods. Best foods mayonnaise. <laughs> okay. Best foods is definitely best okay. You're out you, go, you go through this trouble of making this gorgeous loaf of bread and you're not going to make your mayo? What no, yeah, just, come we on. just bought the bread in the for aisle at the, cooks, at the Met Market. Home cooks trying to make mayo, That's it's uh, a waking nightmare for uh, <laughs> a lot of us who were trained on it and just sit there and watched it break in front of right. us. It's so much easier and so much Now we're in tears. Thank you very much. Okay, avocado, no avocado. Uh, I tend to lead towards avocado. Me I, too, BLTA. I, yeah, I grew yeah. up in Arizona. We always had fresh avocados out there. It was always mm. one of the best, ripest, okay. delicious avocados. Last out there. question while we have time. Bacon. 
Like my dad loved bacon. Literally, he would take it out of the package. He would warm it in the pan, and that was bacon to him. My wife loves bacon. She'll take it out of the package, and she burns the heck out of it. She makes it so crisp to me, it tastes burnt. How do you like your bacon for your BLT? You only have 10 Ten, seconds. Tender and not cooked dry. I yeah. don't like a dry bacon. Okay, but so you, you like a little crisp, Yes, but not over crisp. Yes, I okay. definitely remove it out of the pan before it gets too crisp. Right. Tara. Same. Uh, I definitely like a little bit of Christmas, uh, Christmas to it. But give. Uh, cr- yeah, I, I like a little give. I like a little bit of crisp. It has to be, for me, it has to be a thick cut piece of bacon. Uh-huh. It can't yeah. be that real thin, uh-huh. uh, like minute uh, microwave bacon. I can't do that. Can't do I that. won't ever do that. Have a different again. sandwich. Yeah. Or have a tomato sandwich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pamela. Uh, I want to start making bacon so I can oh get it God. thick enough. <laughs> You can make bacon in the time it's going to take you to make mayonnaise. Okay, this is, this is now we're talking BLT 2022. <laughs> yeah. Thick cut. Thick, thick Templars, cut. But how thick cooked? Because that's really crispy. People don't really, you like it more like Jackie, my yeah. wife likes it, uh, more crispy. Because to me, when, when you take a bite out of a piece of bacon and it crumbles, it's overcooked. Yeah. Yeah. I like bacon when you take a bite out of it, it's still. It's got a little it's, bit. It's and of and, and I do believe I do believe that. there is such a thing as overcooked bacon. To me, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I do believe that some people don't, but I think that is definitely over the top. If it starts crumbling and everything, no good. Yeah, I like to still taste that pork belly and that you know that, that chewiness and a little at, bit. At the end of the day, for me, uh, I want my toast to be able to squish down and wrap around my sandwich rather than it being kind of these two uh, alien pieces of. Right, 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 right. I know what you mean. Flour that uh, kind of break apart on top because it's too dry and over And the sandwich got to be the size of your mouth when you open it. <laughs> Not any wider than that. <laughs> thank you, Tara Mysek. Uh, of course, the, thank you for the having bread me. bread guru at the Dahlia Bakery. Uh, we appreciate your time and energy and excellence. Thank, thank you, you very much for thank great you so work. Much. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, up next, it is scallops. Let's jump into the world of scallops. Why are they in such a short supply? And why are they so darn good? On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show coming to you on this, uh, let's see, what we're taping on Friday morning, but we're, we're showing on Saturday, Sunday, and online uh, in our uh, podcast all week long. I'm That's Tom right. Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And uh, you are welcome to join us Friday mornings live on Facebook Live. Like right now. In case you don't want to uh, look for it later down the week. That's why you want to be the first one to see it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Up next, scallops. Now, you use scallops more than I do in in your cooking, I think, uh, because I tend to not use them because uh, uh, the big ones are from the East Coast generally, and so I like to feature Northwest food. So when I use scallops, I use the ones out of Alaska. I do, too. And I don't know if you remember these. You probably do. But when, when I first came here as a young cook... Uh, we had what was called singing scallops oh, yeah. from uh, Do I remember? right up Vancouver Island. Every summer we were featuring singing scallops everywhere. Yeah. Now you can't find you them can't to save they, your life. Are they gone? They're little bay scallops and they're in the shell. And I have not seen them in years. Years. Yeah. Years and years. I, I don't but, think they disappeared, but I think they're very, very, very rare. And they're, they're fragile. Fragile. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very small fishery now. It's not, it's not like it used to be. But small singing scallop with a roe right attached to it, uh, those were delicious. And we steamed them up like you would steam up uh, mussels and yeah. clams and everything else. I used to so. bake them, like put a nice little butter, like herb butter, lemon herb butter on top. Just put them under the salamander for like three minutes, done. Yeah. Oh, Super so fun. good. I always cut the little belly out of them because uh, it was... The roe? No, not the roe, the belly. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we take the belly out yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, scallops. 
in the grocery store, let's talk about buying them first and, and not to getting used by your local fish monger, right? Because, and I don't mean that in a mean way that it sounded, but when you're looking to buy fresh scallops, you want to look for the words dry pack, right? Because you don't want them treated with trisodium, blah, 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 whatever it is that they treat them, which the intent on that treatment is to keep them plump Correct. and white. Heavier. And heavier. Because it's sold by the pound, not by the piece. Exactly. So you want to look for a dry pack scallop. Correct. Uh, and the way you can tell a dry pack from a trisodium phosphate, I think is the ingredient that Salt. they use, is what? There's a pool of white There's liquid. There's a pool of white liquid underneath. And if yeah. you see that, that means that... Uh, buy something else. <laughs> buy something else. Because the, the, there is two issues with that. One, you're not asking... You, when you're buying as a consumer something... Unfortunately, we're not educated enough to know exactly what's going on in the back of the curtain of the food industry always. So you're buying scallop thinking you're buying a scallop. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a lot more to just like you just said. There is more to the scallop than that because there is that pre-soaked um, um, liquid and they put them in to pump, pluff them up and mm-hmm. get them heavier. And most consumers are not aware of that. But then and, they, and by the way, they do the same thing. Like a lot of the big chicken producers, oh, yeah, soak yeah, yeah, all yeah. their chicken in a in a liquid to make them more plump. All, there is yeah. a lot of things going on in the food yeah. industry, and you should be a curious George to everything you buy. But anyway, to go back to the scallop, the other problem that I've heard many many times, I'm sure you have too, Tom, is consumer come to us, they get a scallop that is gorgeous, sealed and sweet in the restaurant. They come to us and they go, "How come I can never get my scallop like this?" You know, why, do, why can't I get the searing like this? It's always, I put it in a pan and then it boils and this liquid comes out. Well, you didn't buy dry scallop. Right. That's the number one reason. Yeah. And number two, if you're going to be searing in your house, don't be a, what do you call it? Don't be a wimp. Don't be afraid of the smell or the smoke because searing involves very high heat. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a hot pan, you're not going to get that searing, that beautiful searing on your scallop. What does it require? To me, I buy dry pack scallop. I put them, I toss them a little bit in olive oil, just by themselves, a little seasoning, and I put them in the pan without anything in the pan, in a hot pan. Hot pan. Hot, We're talking heavy s- bottom pan, yeah. very hot pan. And you should hear, there is a sound. The sound of shh is not searing. That's the sound of wimping. The sound of searing is a very high pitch. It needs to be super, super high. I know people laugh when I say that, but it is true, Tom. You I and I, I didn't laugh. You and I can be in the kitchen. I hear this in my kitchen. I don't have to look at it. I hear it. I know what temperature you're seasoning, you're searing at, because of the sound. Well, I know the kind of cook Pamela is. She would never get a pan hot enough to do. I'm it. learning. I know. I'm so I know much you better. are. I'm, not, I'm just saying, but that isn't your nature to. To it's let it no, get that hot. No right? one's nature is like that. I think 99% of the people in their kitchen, are f- they don't understand. You need to come to a restaurant and look at the people, how hot the pan is when we sear it something. Smokes. It's it like smokes. It's like a Chinese wok. Yeah, it I mean, when you if, you, if you drop a little bit of oil or fat into your pan, it's going to instantly smoke. Mm-hmm. That's hot searing pan. Yeah. And you cannot achieve this beautiful crustiness unless you have a pan that hot. Okay, so let's go back just one second back to the scallops that are weepy as soon as you put those in the pan all that moisture that is going to flow out of those scallops correct and you, you might as well if you have those scallops don't try to sear them you also have a spongy what's called a spongy meat yeah. texture yeah. as opposed to a dry texture so if that's your li- only scallop and that's what you have 
in my opinion, and choose a different type of cooking. Yeah, Don't sear it. That's what exactly oh. what I'm saying. It's like now you maybe want to make but a, a, a coquille Saint Jacques or yeah. something like that, where you can cook the scallops, get that moisture out, thicken it with. Uh, Flour or cream or something like that, right. and now you've got a little scallop stew, or and that's do, the best way to use those kind of scallops. Yeah, or do a butter poach, which is what I do a lot. The only thing with butter poach is it requires lots of butter, <laughs> and <laughs> nobody cares about that. That's fine, uh, but the, then you can use that butter. You can put it in your fridge after it's cooled down, and you can use it for different usage or for the same usage for a piece of fish as well or whatever, but only seafood. Uh, but butter poach is basically a little bit of wine or water. Maybe a, a quarter cup, put it or half a cup. Put it in the pan, bring it to a boil, and then incorporate cubes of butter in there. Incorporate means you whisk the whole time so it stays um, incorporated into the emulsified, water, emulsified, yeah. and just do a whole batch of that. Like maybe enough so then the scallop can be submerged in that. So an inch. The, so yeah. Yeah, I would say an inch to an inch and a half, and then. Put a tiny bit of seasoning in there, just a little salt and a little bit of pepper. Like a few tablespoons of Tabasco or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe keep that for the side, on the side, because you can always say no. Yeah. And, uh, and then put you, place your scallop in there, never boiling. It's just below boiling point. Otherwise, your butter is going to separate. Um, so you want to keep it boiling, boiling point. And then your scallops, what's going to happen is they're going to absorb some of that butter and they're going to stay really, really, really moist, and they're going to be totally delicious at the end. And then from that, you can, once they're ready, which is a, probably a, at 8 to 10 minutes, depending on the size of the scallop, then take them out of the, of the uh, butter and then make a nice little sauce. You can take that butter and make it into a hollandaise, or, you know, then you've already started. You started the egg, you've already whisked That's the such egg. a good idea. And you can be, you know, Flavored making that. Butter. Or you can have your Tabasco sauce on the side and, mm-hmm. you know... Or Tom, and then use your butter poached scallops with, with Tabasco. Not recommended by, by me, but... You know. One of my favorite things uh, that I've... In a restaurant around town, uh, I've always liked the wild ginger black pepper scallops, where mm. they take the, the dry-packed scallops, they hit them with black pepper. I think they actually use a little Szechuan peppercorn in there, too. I think right. they use a little multitude of peppers. But a, gr- a ground pepper. Put that on your scallops before you sear, right. and then sear that black pepper right into your scallops, like you would a pepper steak. Correct. Uh, uh, so, something of that nature. And yes. then just make a little nuak cham or something, like just a little vinegary kind of sauce right. or lime juice kind of sauce. And, and if, if you get really fresh, um, dry scallop, uh, raw scallops are also delicious. I mean, slice super thin, put on the plate, just a little bit of olive oil, sea salt, and you can do a little yuzu juice. You know, you make a, just a tiny bit drop of yuzu on top of your scallop. That is a really delicious um, way to eat scallop as well, raw scallop. Well, it is, but they but have, they, to they have very little flavor, Correct. I will tell you. They Correct. get their flavor when you sear them. Well, once you um, put the yuzu on it, you get plenty of tons of flavor. <laughs> but scallops are dry-packed scallops right now are $60 a pound. Stop it. Yeah, they are super expensive. <laughs> uh, there's a shortage of them. And, of course, you know, getting them to market right now, everyone's struggling getting their product, and product as we, to market. And as we're getting into fall and winter, one of my favorite ways is to butter poach the scallop and then take them out of the butter with still a little bit of that butter around the plate and then shave some beautiful truffle right on top of yes, that. Yes, please. Now, truffles, fresh shaved truffle and scallop, butter poached scallop, that is definitely not something you should shy away from. If you can have your experience with that, you should definitely do it. A nice bottle of Corton Charlemagne with that, maybe 10 years old. Mm. <laughs> 
fancy. Yeah, yeah, but um, if you're gonna go, go all the go way. All oh, the nice way. bottle, a nice bottle of uh, Bollinger, you know, cuvee special, maybe mm-hmm. 10, 15 years old. Oh, yeah. I had a taste uh, of some uh, 2018 Polony Montrachet last night, mm-hmm. uh, and I was surprised by how acidic it was. Well, yeah, 18, w- 18 and 19 are both very uh, super tight. I liked it. I mean, sometimes those wines are too buttery, too fat for me, right. uh, but I thought that the balance was beautiful on this 18 that we, that we drank last night. So, yeah. Good. Get out there. Explore. Explore. Enjoy some scallops. Enjoy some white burgundy. Uh, it's all good fun. Uh, and I do think scallops and... Uh, Chardonnay, you know, white burgundy is all Chardonnay, so scallops and Chardonnay are a nice combination. We don't often get to say that about Chardonnay. That's right. Seems, but it is seems a, like yeah, nice perfect match. Yeah. Perfect. All right, uh, we're going to wrap things up with our food for thought tasty trivia challenge brought to you by Rub with Love. Stay with us on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. We're heading right into our Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Challenge, brought to you by Rub with Love uh, Spice Rubs, small batch made out in Ballard, right in my warehouse. Um, versatile rubs, sauces, and mustards that help the home cook develop layers of flavor in any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store and specialty shop, or find them on Amazon. Uh, be sure you look for, if you're going on Amazon to get them, we like to support your buddy Stan on Amazon. He's got he a must few, be a famous guy. I know he just has a, he just is one of our best uh, e-tailers. Other shops you might find him in. I saw him yesterday at the Bartels Drugstores, nice uh, uh, Pacific Northwest Shop in Tacoma and Wallingford, Made in Washington Stores, Fresh Fish Company in Ballard, Mutual Fish Company on Rainier Avenue. Uh, both of those places, great places to buy dry packed scallops. Correct. Bob's Quality Meats in Columbia City and Don and Joe's in the Pike Place Market. Pamela, tell us uh, about our winner and how to play the game. Our winner today is Lori Hoshino. Um, she enjoys listening to the podcast when she's gardening, so that spoke right to my heart. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Lori. And today's prize, Carol picked out rubs um, to complement scallops, the seafood rub with the mild curry, the spicy Tokyo with its sesame crunch, mm. and peri-peri for its lemony pepperness. Yes. So in this trivia challenge, the loser has to pay the shipping of these rubs to Lori. And we ship all around the world, so yeah. it could be very expensive. Yeah, it expensive. could be an international uh, costs that you're incurring, Tom. Exactly. We've invited uh, we've invited one of our fabulous Hot Stove Society chefs and instructors here to uh, to uh, play the game and to hopefully uh, take a beating from Terry and I. <laughs> yes, and I got to experience Jim's fabulousness last night. We did a pupusa and ceviche class, and something that you just said, uh, he remarked often, it's like, listen to your food. He kept saying, listen to your food. <laughs> It's something that people don't understand is that their food is talking to them the entire time it's cooking. <laughs> right? if you're paying attention, it, it really makes a big difference. And we just talked about that, listening to the sear on the scallops. Right? Yes. Your food is talking to you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that was a very good tip for our attendees. It's like, yeah, there's this, all the senses can yep. be involved in this. All right. So we've got five questions for each contestant. Terry's going first. What is the distinctive Jewish bread that is boiled before it is baked? Challah. Wrong. 
What did he say? He said holla. Oh, the, no, because oh. holla is like a brio, so it's not uh, boy. It's oh, a no. bagel, you dork. Bagel, yes. <laughs> Hello. Sorry. Answer too fast. <laughs> I was like Jewish bread. I'm like, holla. Come on. Where are the most nutrients in a potato? In the skin, of course. Yep. <laughs> True or false? A hornworm can eat an entire tomato plant by itself in one day. Yes, that is true. Yes. Number four. If you are baking rye bread, what seed is used for the customary and traditional flavoring? It's how I like my whiskey, too. Cumin? Oh, that's too bad. Caraway. Oh, caraway. I was so close. Of course, caraway. What am I thinking? <laughs> I wasn't thinking. Maybe again. you weren't. Okay, yeah. here's a softball. Which state produces almost all of the broccoli sold in the United States? It's not the Midwest. It's got to be like... Think about driving on I-5. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, California. Yay! That's what I was yes. going to say. No, I mean, that makes total sense. It's California because... All right, Jim. All right, let's go. In what year did the Supreme Court make tomatoes a vegetable, even though it's a fruit? <laughs> Excellent. No multiple choice. <laughs> 1986. Close. 1893. <laughs> I was going to say that would be under Ronald Reagan's turn. He made ketchup a vegetable, right? Exactly. Yeah. That was this is a true or false. In England, the National Trust implores people uh, to stop urinating in a toilet in order to save the water used in flushing and instead pee onto compost heaps, which speeds up the chemical process of decomposition, making it better fertilizer to grow vegetables and save even more energy in reducing f food miles. Is this true or false? I has to be true. It yes. is so true. <laughs> it has to be true. Uh, also true or false. There's a Japan indoor vegetable factory that produces 10,000 heads of lettuce a day while using 1% of the amount of water needed for outdoor fields. Absolutely. Urban farming will save the world. Yes. Correct again. Hydroponic. <laughs> Um, which state declared watermelon a vegetable uh, and made it their official state vegetable? I'm going to go with Florida. It was Oklahoma, but Florida would make sense, right. too. Weird. True or false, Qatar, a desert state, is aiming to grow up to 70% of its vegetables by 2023 thanks to a launch of a new farming system that needs no soil and which recycles irrigation water. True or false? I'm going to say true. Yay! Screaming into the lead, Jim McCarthy. Thank wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. It's three out of five, sorry. Oh, are you guys tied? We're tied. Oh, okay. Oh, this is going to be t intense, Tom. Oh, my God. Charles Darwin became interested in how vegetables cross the oceans. In one experiment, Darwin fed seeds to a bird, shot it, and then placed its carcass in a bathtub to float. After a month, Darwin retrieved the seeds from the floating carcass and planted them. Did the seeds germinate? Yes. Correct. Which country uh, changed the cultivation of carrots from purple to orange to match the color of the national flag. <laughs> uh, I like the reason. <laughs> Nothing to do with anything. Can't to be do. this country. There's no orange in our flag. Thank you for all the true-false questions. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to say Mexico. No. It is the Netherlands. The Netherlands. Although they no longer have the Duke of Orange, and they took the orange out of the flag. <laughs> but orange, their carrots are... Aren't you glad they did that? 
<laughs> but their carrots are still orange. Uh-huh. True or false? Frozen vegetables can often be more nutritious than fresh because they're picked and frozen at peak ripeness when their nutrient level is highest. Well, it's probably true, but I would like it to be false. It is true. What are the minerals in vegetables that act like tiny pieces of metal and can create sparks and burns when cooked in a microwave? Iron and what else? Uh, You're pretty smart. Yeah. I I got one. Oh, I have to get all three? Yeah. Oh, that's... That is ridiculous. Well, platinum, at least two. Iron, it's a plural. I, iron, platinum, and uh, what's another one? Iron. What do you What do you uh, read about all the time? See, which one did you say? Magnesium. Magnesium. Yeah, that's what I'd say too. And selenium. <laughs> oh, selenium. Are we giving that to him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's uh, no There's no millennium. Just <laughs> that was last year. And we're finishing with what country produces over half the world's vegetables, including more than 15 times the output of the United States? China. Yay! Correct. So then we have a tie. Terry and 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 Jim are going to split the cost. So that's $3.75 each (laughs) to pay for the shipping of, depending on where this going. If it's going to... Qatar, then, <laughs> Jim, it might be more. Can we just call Amazon and have them deliver the rubber? Yeah, Jim, you make me a sandwich, I'll get the whole thing. Oh, deal, chef. Okay. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much. Thank that was a delight a to Jim, uh, have you jump in. Cheers. One of the presenters and chefs here at the Hot Stove Society kitchen. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to Hot Stove on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Uh, Sean McFadden's on tech, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can vi- listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Have a wonderful, happy Labor Day weekend.